What's up, Bikemer fans? Sometimes I get guests on the show because they're with a brand that's in the news, or there's a technical story that really needs an expert opinion. And sometimes it's just fun to have a conversation with someone really cool. My guest today is former pro roadie Ian Boswell, and he definitely falls into that latter category. Although he does have a few things coming up that you may want to check out. We talk about how he transitioned from racing full-time at the highest level to working a quote-unquote nine-to-five gig with Wahoo. And then he reveals not one, but two different gravel events he's part of and an experimental bikepacking weekend that might turn into something bigger. Please welcome Ian Boswell. Hey, Ian, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Oh, thanks, Tyler. It's nice to uh, reconnect and yeah, happy to be here as always. Yeah, we just had a chance to ride together uh, last week, which was pretty awesome. So let's just kind of get people caught up. You were a pro roadie. You raced for Bissell and then Bontrager Livestrong and then Ario Shimano and then Team Sky and finally Team Katusha Alpeson, which I might be butchering the pronunciation of any number of those things. And you kind of wrapped up your pro road racing career in 2019. And then you went to work for Yahoo or Wahoo, not Yahoo. My mom does the same thing. She's like, oh yeah, my son works at Yahoo. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't. I, I work in a tech company, but not that kind of tech company. <laughs> yeah. Wahoo might be doing a little better than Yahoo these days. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So like, we're going to kind of wrap this episode with a story. I've been starting with them. So maybe we'll save a story from racing or something toward the end of this episode. But Wahoo, like what is your actual job there? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you know, as you kind of read through my teams that I participated with, those kind of all coincided with the time when all my friends and I guess peers um, who weren't racing bikes were going to college. So I, I didn't go, I didn't go to college. I went straight from, you know, high school into racing bikes and kind of realized that I could make a career out of that. So during that time, you never really think about what you're going to do after your career. You know, I think any pro athlete, you're so consumed by the sport and what you're doing that I never thought, okay, what's next? You know, and in 2018, the year before I stopped racing on the road, you know, I'd race the tour, which was kind of, you know, any young cyclist dream, that's your, you know, that's what you want to achieve. I mean, everyone wants to win the tour. The closer you get, you realize it's actually further away than you think, you know, of <laughs> course you make the team and then you realize, okay, I'll, I'll ride the tour, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to win the tour. You know, so it was, it was a huge kind of stepping stone for me to, you know, kind of gone through the ranks of growing up in Oregon and racing and making it to the world tour. And then, yeah, I did the tour in, in 2018 and did the Vuelta a couple of weeks after. And 2019 was like, cool, I've got, you know, a tour under my belt next year. I'll be, you know, even better. Maybe we can go and go in the breakaway, go for a stage. You know, you just get more experience. I was 27, 28 at the time. And I had a bad crash in the spring of 2019 and Terreno Adriatico had a pretty bad, well, a severe concussion and TBI. And I, wound up hitting my head numerous times throughout my career. And that crash kind of led to the end of my my road racing career, which I didn't anticipate. I didn't really expect. You know, I was still kind of in the prime. I mean, I think not that long ago, 27, 28 was kind of like prime years for Grand Tour riders. Now it's 19, 20, 21. Yeah, they're um, young. Yeah, they are. But yeah, I'd had a good relationship with Wahoo since I joined Sky in 2013. At the time, you know, Chip Hawkins came over to one of our team camps. And, you know, at the time, this is when when Sky was like going after brands like, hey, we don't we have cash. We just need the best products. And so they came to Wahoo and like, hey, we need you know, we want to use the the kicker trainers. So I met Chip Hawkins, who was the founder. We went go karting with the team. And <laughs> as, you know, as, as one does. <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was a December camp. So we like, you know, we were training hard, but also doing some fun stuff off the bike. But at the time, you know, myself and then Joe Dombrowski, another American were at the team and, you know, kind of being a 
you know, predominantly British team, but the two Americans, you know, we kind of, you know, gravitated towards, towards Chip and throughout my entire time in the world tour, you know, Sky and then Katusha, um, Wahoo was a partner of, of both those teams, you know, so I worked closely with, with Wahoo, just testing products, you know, getting feedback from athletes, you know, kind of as a, an insider to a degree. And then throughout the summer of 2019, when I decided I wasn't going to go back to professional racing, I, you know, had some friends at Wahoo and they're like, Hey, we're, we're kind of looking to fill this position as the company had grown to like manage these relationships with, you know, professional teams and athletes, you know, at the time Wahoo was, was still relatively small. And there was a lot of people within the company who were, you know, Oh, I'm a fan of triathlete. I'll manage all the triathletes or I'm a fan of cycling. I'll look after the cycling teams, which works, you know, when you're a small company, you have to be, you know, dynamic. But as the company had grown, they realized, okay, we need someone in this role to actually kind of facilitate these relationships and, you know, to go through contracts and to, you know, work with the teams and athletes to make sure that they have what they need, but also that, you know, as a brand, you're also kind of getting the feedback and the exposure that you're expecting. So yeah, I, I fell into that role in 20, yeah, 2020, January 1st, when my contract with Katusha was up, I uh, started with, with Wahoo and I've been there, been there since. And it has been an incredible learning curve, you know, and, and less so like the working with athletes, you know, because I've kind of done that on my own, more just like a lesson in like Excel sheets. And like, you know, it's just a bit like cool PowerPoint presentations. Like, oh, geez, I haven't done one of these since I was 16, you know. Um, But it's been awesome, you know, to be in in a company that, you know, is also given me a ton of opportunity, but also understands that my strengths don't always line up with strengths of someone who's coming out of college and knows all these, you know, maybe more cool. How do you format a, you know, a paper or something, you know, that's all stuff that I'd kind of just forgotten because I didn't use during my professional racing days. But on the contrary, you know, I, I bring a, a different and unique perspective and, and still do have a lot of good relationships with the athletes and teams that we work with and kind of understand what they're going through. And that's the kind of stuff you can't teach, right? Like you can learn how to make a spreadsheet. You can't, you know, like quickly ramp up and just like have a relationship with all the pro cyclists and the people that you want to liaise with. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's been a huge benefit to to Wahoo, myself, and, you know, also the athletes and teams we work with, you know, just having someone in that position that that understands, you know, I mean, I see it so often in kind of the industry as a whole right now, you know, it's, you look at, you know, I'm doing the gravel stuff now, you know, the two days before Unbound, every brand's like, oh, we need to do a photo shoot. It's like, wait, 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 we've got months to do this. Why, why don't we do this the day after Unbound, you know, but it's, there's just this like necessity of like, cool, we got to get this in now because, you know, the athletes are at the event, we're at the event, we've got a photographer or whatever it may be. So just trying to work a bit more closely with athletes and, 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 and Wahoo to be like, Hey, how can we do this? Where like, this also fits into an athlete's schedule. Right. Yeah. And then, so it, it's like a proper nine to five gig or cause you're in Vermont, you live in Vermont and Wahoo's based in Atlanta, Georgia. So it's not like you're going into the office every day. No, no, I'm not going into the office every day. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I took the job being a, a remote worker and then the pandemic kind of solidified that. But yeah, I mean, it, it's a full-time position. You know, Wahoo's definitely unique in that sense. And maybe more outdoor brands are like that where, you know, yes, it's, you know, you're working Monday through Friday, but equally, you know, we, I mean, the company encourages people, hey, you know, take a long lunch break, lunch break and there's a policy like respect the ride. Like if you block out your calendar from 10 to noon to go for a ride, like that's great. As, as much as I'm punching the clock, I'm not punching the clock. You know, it's very dynamic. And, and especially working with athletes and teams, a lot of stuff winds up falling on weekends, you know, races or, you know, an athlete's messaging you, you know, at 10 p.m. on Friday night, like, hey, I, like, how do I do this on my bike computer? I'm like, okay, we can figure this out before you race in the morning. All right. 
So yeah, I would say, you know, I, it's, you know, you're putting in the time, but it's not always, you know, nine to five. I'm, you know, still able to go for, for rides in the middle of the day. And, you know, we were, I work a lot of events on weekends and whatnot, mostly North America, but yeah, there's a lot of travel that goes along with the job as well. Is it more like, I imagine it's got to be just kind of a results driven agenda versus a hours put in type of agenda, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. I guess that's kind of the, I think a lot of companies kind of have that policy now, you know, it's like, Hey, there's no hours, but you know, get your job done, which means, you know, like I said, sometimes you're doing stuff on Saturday morning. Sometimes, you know, you have a Monday when you're like, Hey, I have no meetings today. I'm going to go for a longer ride. I'm also in a unique position that I'm still racing or have been racing gravel. So Wahoo understands that. And like, you know, there is a minimum volume of training that you have to do just to, you know, be competitive in these gravel races. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the gravel racing you're doing and some other gravel stuff a little bit later, but so I'm, I'm trying to imagine, you know, Ian fresh off his career, you know, wraps up in 2018 and you get there, you set up your little desk, you know, you put your little laptop up and got your cup with some pencils in it or something. And then it's like, okay. You know, it's like, I mean, that transition from like constantly being on the bike and that was your goal to like, now I'm more behind the screen and behind the scenes. How weird was that? Uh, I think the biggest kind of, you know, at first you're excited, I mean, any new opportunity, you're always excited, you know, and pretty quickly into my job, you know, we had the you know pandemic as well. So like you were just, you know, I was home and it didn't really feel I would have been home, you know, probably had I been racing as well. The biggest challenge and kind of realization was, I don't know, maybe, maybe in like July or August when I started to realize like, oh, wow, most people work Monday through Friday from like age 22 <laughs> until 65. And I was just, that blew me away because in cycling, you know, and even I still have it to a degree, you know, now we're speaking about late September. I still have this mindset of like this time of year, you kind of like switch off, you know, you kind of like, cool, it's like almost the off season. I've got, you know, two months until I got to start training again. And it's just like kind of this internal clock that you, you know, develop. And, you know, obviously in the workforce, you don't get two months off season, you know, there's no, yeah, <laughs> there's right. no time when you can, yeah, you just <laughs> not in America you know, anyway. No, no. And you know, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, every race that so you see it every year, you know, some people race, you know, incredibly strong from, from February through October, but you know, a lot of riders show up to races in October and they're just kind of going through the motions and, and you can't do that. in you know, in the general workforce, you know, it's, especially in, you know, this industry, there's always new stuff coming out and, you know, obviously there's, you know, with, with Wahoo's kind of portfolio of product, you know, there's a trainer season, there's an outdoor riding season, you know, there's the sales seasons around, you know, holidays and around, you know, the Tour de France, there's no break anymore, which I guess for me coming from a career that was like, you know, you could take a week off here and there and you could take a long off season to realize that like, wow, most people get two days off for the entirety of their work career. Like that was, it really, I mean, I've accepted it now, but it was really like a struggle to think about at first. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, but your cycle, if you're you're working with the athletes and stuff, surely it's a little bit seasonal with that. So when you come into that off season and people aren't doing as many races, there's not as many events to go to, you know, like, then what are you doing? Well, it's it's kind of funny. It's almost like a complete role reversal of my schedule from racing, because now, you know, this period of time when, you know, most athletes are kind of starting to wind down their year, you know, this is when you know, I'm negotiating with athletes and teams for next year for contracts, you know, kind of most still in the industry, you know, it's pretty common that, you know, contracts start January 1st and they run to December 31st. You know, so a lot of those contracts are kind of being gone through now to either renew athletes for next year, or find new athletes um, that that's kind of taking place, you know, between, I guess, you know, anywhere from late August through sometimes like, you know, the Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving time of year, late November. That's kind of the window of 
you know, really almost a busy season for me. You know, individual athletes are one thing because, you know, they, the products that they require are, you know, it's much less volume. But, you know, when we're working with, you know, we're working with EF education and, you know, we're working with UAE and, you know, we have a, the Life Plus Wahoo team and, you know, the volumes of products that these teams are ordering or that they need, you know, when you look at pedals, you know, each rider's got four bikes, it's, it's insane. So just to make sure that all the, the products are getting to the teams before they're, you know, oftentimes first training camp in, in December. Do you have any of the pro teams um, or like super top level individual athletes using the speed play power meter pedals or is almost everybody still on like crank based power meters? We do. So the whole Life Plus Wahoo teams on on the PowerLink pedal. Um, and there's quite a few like individual athletes that are using them as well. You know, I mean, it really just depends on on the athletes. And, you know, I guess with the crank based power meter pedal or crank based power meters, you know, some athletes already have pre- or had had pre-existing contracts with, you know, SRAM and Cork or Shimano obviously came out with the power meter. So I guess when we came to market, a lot of those contracts were already locked up with with teams that already had existing partnerships. But yeah, we do have more more teams now using and requesting those products just because it's, you know, it's oftentimes an easier an easier item to, you know, swap and replace and, you know, change between bikes than, you know, needing a changing a crank set's a pain. <laughs> changing yeah. pedals is is pretty pretty straightforward. Yeah. Cool. The um I jumping back for a minute. So I remember when Team Sky kind of came on the scene and they're, you know, one of the things they were most famous for was just this constant constant search for every little marginal gain they could find and it was like it was entertaining to watch because some of the stuff they came up with just seemed so obscure and minute but they were like so excited about it and i'm kind of curious like because that's around the time when wahoo came up with the um kind of that aerodynamic shape the bolt i think it was you know like that tiny computer and then even the mount kind of like flowed into the shape and it was like there was a lot of press about how Oh yeah, you know, we have an aerodynamic computer in its mount, which, you know, you think about it, you're like, really? But it was cool. It was that was Team Sky helping to drive that, or was that something Wahoo came up with on their own and then presented to the team? That was something that the Wahoo came up on on their own. We did do like a lot of testing with it. You know, I did a lot of testing. I know, you know, Froomey at the time was kind of the the marquee grand tour rider, especially for like, you know, look at time trials. You know, it's crazy to think back in, you know, 2013, 14, 15. Arrow Road wasn't really that thought about. You know, I guess it was wasn't until probably 2015 that people like you started seeing everyone in a, you know, kind of a race, a race suit. And, you know, people would use deep dish wheels, but still the climbers were like, oh, I'm still gonna run the lighter wheels over the arrow wheels, even though we know now that the aerodynamics is far more important than than the weight in most cases. So it was still more of like a, a time trial thing where people were looking at, hey, you know, how can we fit this onto a time trial bike that makes it more arrow? Because at the time, you know the a lot of the choices that teams were making on the road weren't really uh it wasn't really considered like it is today you know now every bike brand's got a got an aero frame and you know deep dish wheels and you know aero helmets but yeah i mean we do you do you do realize that everything does add up and especially when you start to look at stuff in wind tunnels you know it, it does make a huge difference you know and at wahoo you know we we actually have a well i mean this year in the grand tours Yumbo Visma won, you know, all three Grand Tours on on speed play pedals, which we actually don't have a formal partnership with that team, you know, and they've nice. they've just they've gone out and picked them up because they're like, hey, we're good, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not not cheap to buy pedals, but they've realized like, hey, this is like a super easy way to increase our overall speed. That doesn't really, you know, does, there's no compromise. You know, I think that's kind of always the question of pro athletes is, you know, what gains can you make and are there, are there compromises? And if there's not, then it's usually a pretty easy decision to make. Yeah. Cool. 
So let's uh, let's switch gears. You live in Vermont now, we mentioned, and we got to ride bikes recently together up there, mountain bikes, um, which was super fun. But man, like just being there and listening to you and Burn, some other locals talk about it, it is like there is endless, endless supply of gravel roads and mountain bike single track up there. Is that like how you picked Vermont or how'd you end up there? Well, I'll say there is endless opportunities to ride your bike when the weather's right. <laughs> you happen to hit it on, on a nice, a nice week. Um, no, so my, my wife grew up in, in Vermont, actually not that far from, from Woodstock where we were riding a couple of weeks ago. You know, I grew up in Bend, Oregon, which, you know, is, I mean, equally, you know, a, a town that has tons of, you know, easily accessible outdoor rec, you know, be it skiing or hiking, cycling, but it's also very much a West Coast town, you know, and it's really blown up. When I was born, it was 26,000 people, and now it's well over 100,000. And in Vermont, and I think South Dakota are like two of the states in the in the country that population hasn't changed in the last 60 years. You know, and I don't really know why more people don't want to live in Vermont. I mean, I guess if you're super into outdoor rec, everyone wants to go out West because everything's, you know, bigger and there's, you know, more trails and bigger jumps and, you know, more snow, which is why I love living in Vermont because everything's just a bit more toned down. There's less, you know, less competitive and, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a phenomenal place to do outdoor rec. Um, you do put up with more weather than, than living <laughs> out West, you know, just the, the seasons are more, more drastic, but I guess that also makes you appreciate them that much more. You know, for example, today's a beautiful sunny day and the leaves are all changed. I'm like, wow, it doesn't like, you really appreciate a day like today because you know, in, you know, a month and a half, it's going to be stick season and too cold to ride, but there's no snow and you're just kind of like twiddling your thumbs. Okay. It's time to go to the basement and jump on my kicker <laughs> because there's not much else to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really is a phenomenal, a phenomenal place to to ride a bike, especially you'd mentioned the dirt roads, 70% of all the roads in the state, like the, you know, state maintained or town maintained roads are unpaved. You know, it's, it's cheaper to keep them dirt uh, than it is to pave them. And, you know, that just has enabled, you know, this gravel kind of bikes to become like the most optimal bike for most all the riding in the state. That's right. Is fat biking a thing there or do people just switch to ski sports? I just took the studs off my fat bike for kind of, I, I tend to ride fat bike, you know, November, well, all through the winter, but I'll start riding it outside on the dirt roads kind of once the temperatures drop, just because you, the speed is so much slower, you know, you stay warm. Hmm. Yeah, there's some great fat biking. And, you know, I think people think about fat biking as like, oh, I'm going to go ride the single track mountain bike trails that are groomed. And you can do that. But where I live, there's so many dirt roads in the wintertime, you know, they're frozen. So I just, I just wind up doing a lot of, I guess, gravel rides on my fat bike, you know, cause there's still ice and I'll throw studs on and you maybe, you know, jump off on some snowmobile trails here or there. But yeah, fat biking is, uh, yeah, something I never thought I would want to ride my bike in such cold weather. But I mean, it, it's amazing just with some, you know, some simple bar mitts and decent shoes. Like you're moving so slow, you stay, you stay plenty warm and it's, as you learned, it's hilly here. So <laughs> there's no, yeah. there's no issue in kind of working up a sweat. Very cool. So on top of all the Wahoo stuff, you're still racing gravel at a pretty high level. You podiumed and you, you, while you won Unbound in 21, you podiumed in 22. Yeah. What happened in 23? Did you race it this year? I did. Well, I guess I technically podiumed. It's a five person mountain bike oh, okay. podium. Oh, um, right. so I was still on the podium, which it's always weird kind of doing these gravel events and realizing that there's five people on the podium versus three. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know, this whole gravel and I guess my introductory to gravel, you know, kind of happened unexpectedly, you know, I took this job at Wahoo and at the time, you know, Wahoo was attending a lot of gravel events and they were working with quite a few gravel athletes. So it was kind of known that I was going to be, you know, going to some of these events anyways, you might as well bring your bike and ride. 
then the pandemic happened. So I didn't, you know, I spent a whole, I guess, year and a half plus between, you know, my crash in, in the spring of 2019 until, yeah, a couple of weeks before Unbound 2021, I didn't race a bike because um, nothing was happening. I was at home riding and I really just fell in love with riding my bike again. And you, I mean, it's hard to think back to, you know, early 2021, but gravel was, it was growing, but it wasn't quite what it is now. You know, I was still able to, you know, work a full-time job and, you know, manage our, well, we don't have a, it's not an operational farm, but, you know, we have 10 and a half acres and there's a lot of fields to mow and apples and gardens, Sweet. you know, and then have this really nice balance of like, cool, I still get to race and ride my bike at a high level, but I can still kind of live the life that I've always dreamed of when I was on the road. And I feel like I'm kind of hanging on to that by a thread, <laughs> you know, being, you know, this year at Unbound, um, you know, I'm able to get fit enough to, you know, it was a bunch sprint. I think there were seven of us that came to the line. So at that point, it's, you know, kind of a, a crapshoot, you know, who, whoever takes the right line and, you know, we're, we're passing, you know, people from the hundred mile course and stuff. But yeah, it's just been crazy to, to see what, what it's become, even since, you know, I kind of joined the, the scene in 2021 to now you know, the Lifetime Grand Prix and, you know, the UCI stepped in and there was a USA Cycling Gravel Nationals and all stuff that I see is providing a ton of opportunities to, you know, kind of the next generation of American riders. Because when you look at the road, there's not, there's not really much left. But I, you know, realizing that I had my career and I'll still probably, you know, do another year of, of racing and some of the events that I want to do that are fun, you know, Unbound, you kind of need to go to because it's the big one, but, you know, Oregon Trail and some other stuff, you know, here locally in, in New England. Um, it's still awesome to be able to use my bike as a tool to to travel, you know, the world, but, you know, more more often now just here domestically in the U.S. Yeah, there's um, like a surprising number of events in Vermont. And by that, I mean, like, there's like three or four that I know of. There's, uh, you know, Ted King's event and... um. Vermont Overland. Thank yeah. you. I'm forgetting all of them. There's one with a weird name that I can never remember. Oh, well, I think just going on right now, I think they're passing my house maybe later this evening is the Vermont Super 8. I think it's like a multi-day bike pack race type thing. Oh, very cool. And there's also the VTXL, which Ted started in 20, maybe 2020, um, but like across Vermont kind of, well, some people ride it as, you know, for with friends and socially but some people go for like the fastest known time and that passes our house and we have a little a frame out back um so we get a lot of bike packers staying at our place on that trip and a lot of people come from out of state and they're like is it is the whole state this hilly i'm like yep <laughs> you're you're one day in and you're gonna have a lot of hills coming up that's awesome very cool and it doesn't seem like demand is slowing i mean these events are all doing well and there's more popping up everywhere so it's it's kind of nice that yeah, everybody jokes when the UCI gets involved in something that's like seems grassroots at first and all the pros start going and taking the racing seriously, it ruins it. But I don't feel like that's happened for gravel and granted we're still young. And I mean, I guess though it took a long time for mountain biking to really kind of change from that sort of punk character to the highly efficient racing machine it is now. Yeah. And then I think we'll kind of continue to see the evolution of the racing side of gravel. You know, actually another event you didn't mention, cause you probably haven't heard of it is the Peach and Fall Fonda, which my wife and I put on and it's this coming weekend, September 30th, but it's a 300 person gravel ride. It's not timed. It's like, you know, there's tons of stops. We like, we hide these little things on like little gnomes on course for people to try to find to like awesome. slow people down. Like how do we get everyone to be at the finish at the same time? Yeah. So I think what's maybe happening in gravel is like the, yeah, the despair, like just the range of spectrum of people racing and people riding is just growing because more people are coming to the sport who are like hey we just want to go on this adventure and have fun and then there's more people also coming like hey we want to race and you know we're going to use 
you know, aero helmets and aero gravel bikes, you know, so it's the spectrum is just growing, but I don't think that the numbers of participants is declining at all. Yeah. I, I think that's fine, man. Like, I like that you build some fun stuff in there to kind of force people to slow down. I remember talking to my late friend, Roy Wallach, for people who knew him, just a fantastic dude. And he raised the BC bike race one year and he, he had stopped somewhere on the trail and took a picture of himself sitting in this like massively comically oversized throne in the middle of the woods. And he's showing people the pictures afterwards and everybody's like, where was that? There's no way that was on the trail. And it's because <laughs> they were so laser focused on just getting through it. And he's like looking around and just enjoying himself. And I think he ultimately had a probably a much better time than the people who were just like nose to the stem trying to beat the person behind them for no real reason. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, if I kind of like finish off on, on gravel, like I think that's one thing that I hope doesn't happen is there that there's like no judgment of how people choose to participate in these events, you know, cause I mean, it goes both ways, you know, people at the front, are like, Oh, why would you want to take 20 hours to finish this? And there's people at the back, like, why are you guys riding so fast? It's like, well, I mean, what's fun for everyone is it's different. And, you know, and I, you know, have learned that a lot since coming to gravel, you know, I'm, I'm racing unbound, but at SPT, I was riding neutral support on an e-bike for the, for the, for the middle length event. And it's cool that like there is that possibility in this discipline that it's not just if you're a racer, you have to race every race and go for the win. Or if you're, you know, someone who wants to just socialize, like, yeah, you can also race some events as well. It's nice that like the, you know, the culture of it is is very open to like people participating how they choose to participate. Nice. So you're putting on your Fondo and then I guess maybe next month or coming up soon, you're also co-hosting a gravel camp in Mexico. How in the world did that come to be? Yeah. So I've been down to Mexico, I think almost every year since 2018. I have a buddy down there, Joel, who a Canadian fellow who moved, he's been down there maybe 10, 12 years now, but he started a little bike shop down there, BC Bucerias kind of an avid cyclist and like moved down to, to this small coastal town north of Puerto Vallarta, south of Sayulita, two towns that people have probably gone to for surfing or partying. Um, but Bucerias is this nice kind of quiet town. And there's actually really good riding there. You know, as I said, living in Vermont, usually come like November or December, I was like, okay, I got to go somewhere to train to get ready for the upcoming road season. And what better place to go than Mexico? Because you get a ride, but you also, you know, you have awesome food and you get to spend the afternoon on the beach. Um, you know, so kind of a luxurious training camp. So I've been going down there for, I've been down there maybe five or six times now. And so Joel's like, hey, let's put together like an actual camp around this and then, you know, show this off to some other people. And so that's what we're, that's what we're doing in November. Yeah, starts November 4th and then finishes on, I think the 11th with a, the Tequila Grand Fondo. So it's, it's just inland from, from Bucerias, um up in the hills, but I'm sure everyone's heard of, well, Tequila the drink, but there's actually a town called Tequila where you know, a lot of the agave plants are, are grown. Nice. And there's a Grand Fondo up there. So yeah, we'll be doing rides from the beach uh, Monday through Friday, and then Saturday heading up to Tequila for the Grand Fondo. And it's phenomenal riding. And I think it really is the perfect kind of like display of the capabilities of a gravel bike, you know, because I think people get a gravel bike and they think, oh, I need to ride only gravel roads that, you know, you see in Vermont or in Kansas. And it's like, well, gravel bikes can go anywhere. You know, you can, you know, with modern gravel tires and gearing, like, you can do a whole hundred mile road ride and it's still an awesome bike, but you can also like jump off and take some side roads and some back roads and hit some cobblestones. And then it's way more comfortable than, you know, taking your old rim brake road bike down some of those. Um, and, And Mexico has, it really has it all. You know, there's some amazingly beautiful paved roads, but equally, you know, you can jump off to the side and, you know, get really lost in the back country. 
Yeah. And then, I mean, like, I feel for better or worse, there's this common misperception or, or perception that, you know, Mexico can be kind of dangerous. Like, but th- how's this area? Especially like you talk about like going off on backwards. Like, I think that's going to just scare some people. I mean, honestly, I have never felt in danger down there. You know, even, yeah, I think in the US, you feel, I mean, less in Vermont, but you go anywhere else and like traffic is feels so scary. You know, people drive super fast and, you know, they're, you get buzzed and like down there, like everyone's just a little bit more patient. People, you ride through a little village, it's, you know, 20 miles down a dirt road. You know, all the kids come out to like cheer and they're like, whoa, what are these people doing? These, <laughs> what are these crazy guys out on their bikes? How'd they get out here? I, I've never felt like, in danger at all down there. You know, it's always felt super welcomed. And, you know, I guess just after the pandemic, I did a ride and went through San Francisco. And I was like, oh, I feel like this is kind of dangerous, you know? And and I, down there, I've, I've never felt, I've never felt anything. And, you know, oftentimes it's just more curiosity than anything. You know, right. it's not oftentimes in these super rural places that you see, you know, a group of, you know, five, 10 riders come through and, you know, stop for, and also, you know, the food down there, like stopping at these little, grandma's on the side of the road flipping tortillas and making talk oh man it's it's impossible to beat like it's yeah. it's a it's good living yeah yeah you probably don't get that in vermont no <laughs> no the uh the diversity of food is pretty pretty limited yeah that uh that would be a, a hard sell for me as no mexican food but i guess splitting the year is a, a good plan the so I, i'm curious like What's a good story? You must have some great stories from your racing days or from these recent races, your experiences with Wahoo. But let's wrap up with just something fun. Oh boy, a fun story. Uh, I feel like from my racing days, I have a lot of yeah painful stories of <laughs> crashes and whatnot. Sometimes um, it's fun to laugh at other people's pain. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll kind of in the, something new I'm doing. So the weekend after the Fondo, my buddy and I came up with this idea my brother is a fly fishing guide out in Eastern Oregon, and we've done a couple of trips with him where you're, you know, you're really in the middle of nowhere. There's no cell phone service. There's no people. And, you know, I think more of us now are like very connected. Like we're always on our phones. We're always on our computer. You know, we're always, you know, being infiltrated by, you know, just technology. So my buddy and I, during the, before the pandemic, tried to start this gravel unplugged kind of camp. And we're actually finally doing our first one here in Vermont, October fourth so it's yeah it's gonna be like a four-day it's mostly just friends at this point we're kind of testing out the (laughs) the concept um yeah just kind of like old school bike packing where like you know no phones no cameras you know even i messaged leah wilcox and i was like hey you want to come out for this and she's like yeah can can rue come and and shoot some videos i'm like (laughs) leah i I would love to but like we have to hold true to what this is and like there's no phones are going to go in a box no cameras bring your sketch pad yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And, you know, I think you also realize very quickly how much time is in the day when you don't have a phone in your hand vibrating. So I'll probably have a good story for you after this. We'll see how it goes. Um, the weather looks good because we're not, you know, we are going to be bikepacking and we have a lot of people who have never done it before, which I think is also part of the experience of, of trying something, trying something new. Yeah, that sounds rad. I hope it, I hope it works well and it's something you continue to do because I'd love to come up and do that one year so. Yeah, well, we can expand. We're going to expand. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, cool. Ian, thanks so much for your time. That was a good little chat. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Tyler. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. 
If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.